For some of you, it's your first time. For others, it is not. But for today, I would like to welcome you all to Epic Realms. Friends and enemies, heroes and villains, welcome to Epic Realms. Today's episode of Epic Realms is a special one. Many of you know this show is recorded live on stream. And after recording the podcast, we do a live stream Q&A for people who are there live and hanging out in our Twitch chat. Those who are live ask questions throughout the show and I go through and read them for our guest. Today's episode will include Q&A sessions from the Forgotten Realms' two most well-known authors, Ed Greenwood and R.A. Salvatore. First, we're going to go to our Q&A sessions with Ed Greenwood. This took place in August of 2021, episode 10. And that's where we cut the episode. We cut the thing, and now we go okay. off the... Now we go off the... Well, we got a lot of questions for Ed. Sure, let's Hopefully do it. Hopefully you're ready. All right, we're going to yep. scroll back up here. Important question. Do the Canadian military use moose as tank busters? No, you were talking. You were talking about the military early on, and some of the yes. the, the the role playing aspects of of the Canadian military. No, we do not use <laughs> moose as tank busters because in order to have tank busters, you need to have tanks. Tanks, right? <laughs> and here, and I and I gotta throw this. I, I make this comment all the time. Anytime I'm talking with someone from Canada, I'm from Minnesota, so I'm unofficially Canadian. Yeah. So, yes. <laughs> as Garrison Keillor said, almost good enough. Almost. <laughs> Somebody asked, yes. are you really Elminster in disguise? I'm asking for a friend. Uh, no, I am not Elminster in disguise. I just play him at play conventions him. in Have the there, same way. I've seen some art for some of the covers, and sometimes I wonder if they've actually based the art on you. Oh, yes. Yeah. Have. Okay. Yeah, because because if, if they saw me in costume as Elminster, which is, by the way, something TSR asked me to do. Okay. And then later on, Watsy asked me to stop doing. <laughs> I bet. Okay. Um, but they've seen me for years ad lib Elminster mm -hmm. at, at long play sessions. So, but but I, I want to remind all the gamers who think that Elminster is my self insert Mary Sue. Got to remember when I created Elminster, I was five years old. Right. I did not have a beard, <laughs> I did not have white hair. I was not old and cantankerous. I was young and shy and nerdy. I had black plastic, quote, unbreakable glasses. They weren't. But I broke them over and over again. Right. <laughs> but I was not. Uh, I have grown to look like Elminster. And obviously with the artist, he has grown to look like me. Right. <laughs> well, full disclosure, there may or may not be a game that I run where, uh -huh. we, where we all play ourselves and the, one of the backstories is you really are Elminster in our world, just hanging out and watching over things. So I'm okay. And this was after we already talked once. So I, I'm 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 okay. full disclosure. That's cool. There. <laughs> That's cool. <laughs> um, what is your thought on? And of course, I, some of these questions may be things you can't answer. Uh, mm -hmm. What is your thought on the more recent explosion on the greater acceptance with D and D and role playing in general? And then he's got a follow up question. Sure, I think it's great for becoming mainstream. Right. Just as fantasy and science fiction became mainstream when it was this closet thing that was frowned upon. Oh, uh, even if there was no, isn't that satanic? Oh, God, I hate God will curse you. Even, even if that wasn't there, there was the, oh, it's pulp. It will rot your mind. Why don't you read proper books sort of thing? Mm -hmm. So that was around long before that. And what happened was all the nerds like me got to be old enough and wealthy enough and high placed enough that they were running movie studios and they started making the movies they wanted to see when right. they were kids that nobody and they started publishing the fantasy books that they couldn't get enough of when they were kids so it became mainstream and i'm delighted 
that Dungeons and Dragons and role playing in general is now following the same thing because I it cuts down on all the oh I don't think your Bobby should be playing that it's Satanism he'll have virgins down in the basement with black candles and doing unspeakable things to him and then the police will come and his life will be over it's like no 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 you've just been role playing this thing that we've just been doing sitting around mom dad auntie that's role playing that's it no right. virgins no candles no that's it you've just role played and and i also want role playing to be associated with fun right because for a while there corporate america had role playing which was handling difficult customers right right the exit interview how to get rid of a problem employee right and of course there were endless little videos made by po-faced idiots unless they were john cleese and and uh, <laughs> dr buckman um they were in which they would do the crazy interview and so on and i don't want role-playing to be associated with that in people's minds i want to know role-playing could be fun it's make-believe right. it's play what we all did as kids we're just refusing to grow up and putting away play yeah. we want to go on playing for the rest of our lives <laughs> my, my my own mother was one of those like that's it's evil D, D is evil i could role-play gerps i could role-play car wars i could role-play but D, D was evil and she didn't understand the separation until years. You know, I had I would we would sneak the D and D books in, and we'd be like, "No, we're playing, we're playing this other system, and we're not playing D and D." All right, what's what's my thaco? Uh, <laughs> so yeah, yeah, and and eventually, you know, years later, probably not not too many years later, but five ten years later, it got to the point where my when I'd be visiting my mom, she'd be like, "What's the story? What's your guys' story for your D and D campaign?" I'm really curious what's going on in the thing. It's like the the evolution of it's evil to that point where it's it's not evil and it's storytelling and it's you know math building skills yeah. and it's social interaction skills and it's all of those things. It was just fantastic to see you know see it evolve like that. And I'm sure that that's you know kind of what this this question was doing. His follow up question was, "What do you see being the next big thing in the role playing universe?" I I don't have a crystal ball. Right. I know the old saying magic users have crystal balls, but you know <laughs> um but uh, I know that virtual reality, the the goggles that make the world seem to come alive around you is going to be bigger than it is now. Right. And is going and now the the question will be how can that be managed in a safe manner so we don't get the old um people running around in society doing dangerous things because they're seeing it as opposed to walking into traffic because they're texting right <laughs> yeah. um um there's the uh i uh, we already had a, a game uh beloved in my um teenage years called assassin or killer that was played at all conventions with a water pistol and a photograph everybody who was playing got a photograph of somebody who was their target you know, if they saw them at the convention, they with the water pistol and they had to stop that game and ban it completely because somewhere in the United States, a young kid made a firing motion with his water pistol and a security guard saw the movement turned and blew him away with wow. a real gun. So they had that ruined it for everybody. Yeah, that's sad. Um, but I mean, that's the thing they have to avoid if they do virtual reality goggles. Right. That that danger of somebody hurting themselves or hurting other people because right. they forget that they're in their bedroom or in traffic or in a in a public park or whatever i mean there was just been problems with pokemon go right people wandering around public areas or trying to get into a cage with a lion at a zoo because there's a pokemon in there right no. <laughs> favorite noir era novel I don't have favorites. Um, okay. Uh, one of the ones I like is a crossover novel that that preceded Jim Butcher and preceded Glenn Cook. Um, Michael J. Reeves wrote Dark World Detective, and it's Sam Spade, but in a world of fantasy and oh. with monsters and stuff. Okay. And it's just fun. Awesome. Um, oh my God! I love that you had maiden ants. Yes. I had maiden ants, my Aunt Clara. My Aunt Clara went through two world wars and a depression on a f dirt poor farm and then worked at Hudson's department store in Detroit. 
where she she um, altered people's hats to fit the customer's head. You put it on a steam mold. You changed it, actually tailored it to them. Then you decide. They decided what decoration they wanted—the ribbon and the feather or whatever. They decided that, and then you sent them on their way. And she raised us all, and she. Um, it was quite amazing going to a supermarket with a a seventy-year-old lady with a widow's hump in full furs, full makeup, full perfume jewelry all over her and she's hobbling along and I'm there to push the buggy and <laughs> she looks at the butcher's counter she doesn't like any of the meat and she just marches behind the counter and into the cold room and with the, the meat cutter going lady you can't come in and, and he looks at me like I'm supposed to stop her right I'm like I'm like eight years old and I just looked at it went you know <laughs> and she goes into the back room and he's going lady you can't be in here and she's in the cold room with full sides of beef hanging there and she says that one i'll have that one take it down and she he's saying but lady and she's take it down you guys don't know how to butcher right and of course here's the problem english people german people and scottish people butcher completely differently right and then modern american guys who worked in slaughterhouses with rotary saws they butcher differently yet again because they're not using cleavers they're running right. it through a saw so they're going to do it differently and she wanted a whole side out and then she picks up the cleaver again not something that's supposed to be done so he goes away to get the manager and she's jointing this whole side of beef the way she wants it and she wow. says now where's your brown paper to wrap it up in that's <laughs> hilarious oh my because gosh. well you you see he, she went through the wars you did everything yourself right you didn't you know um, now, she knew she knew at her age, all bent over, she couldn't carry a whole side of beef. She that's what you were there for. To the floor. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, except I couldn't either. So that's what she wanted the meat cutter. Well, it, you know, carry it for me because I can't. Right. It's sort of like, wow. And, and this is how we went through life. She was in perfume and furs. She wore furs all over and she got dressed up to go out and you walked everywhere. Taxis were for the hospital. And that was about it. Wow. Because taxis cost money. Right. And she went through the depression. Right. So you walked everywhere. Right. <laughs> Ed, do you stay current on D&D editions or do you have a personal favorite edition to play and or run? Uh, when I'm running, it's usually role playing over rules. So it doesn't really matter. Okay. Um, when I'm running with my old original group, it's second edition because we never moved because they vote right. on anything. And what they voted was, we're going to use first edition, but we can use second edition bards as well as first edition bards. So they're basically playing AD&D with a few cherry-picked things from second edition. If I'm running right now, it's usually fifth edition, just because most of the younger gamers, that's what they're used that's to. That's what they're used to, yeah. Yeah. Um, and I've designed for every edition of the D&D game. Um, I'm not comfortable in fourth because I didn't design for it long enough. But other than that, I don't care. One, it's, it's, it's storytelling, baby. Right. You know? <laughs> Two horrifying words. Shopping episodes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, let me tell you stories. Um, I once wrote a hilarious story, which they deep-sicked because it was extremely tasteless and body i love it um in which a party of D, &D adventurers uh, um from the realms um go shopping in a modern supermarket you know of, of well okay modern modern of the 1960s so rotisserie okay. chicken yeah a real butcher behind the counter um uh, a produce manager with about five assistants all wearing green aprons who are fiddling with the produce throughout the day you know, as people yeah. buy, they're restacking yeah. and putting stuff in pyramids and so on. And these adventurers are going, spearing things on their weapons and putting them <laughs> in the cart. And, and <laughs> one of the, the they, they encounter a kid having a meltdown, full temper tantrum, banging his fists on the floor. And his mother is despairing and says, oh, I can't take you here. What am I going to do with you? And the fighter just reaches down and picks the kid up by the hair, dumps him in the buggy, says, we'll take care of him for you. 
<laughs> nice. <laughs> They're going to sell them into slavery, you know. <laughs> wow. Wow. <laughs> um, somebody said, oh, so you were talking about putting, when you were talking about building, writing storylines, and you talked about having a music video up and turning the music off mm-hmm. and writing, you know, writing from that. And this person mentioned, an emperor's new clothes, panic at the disco. I want somebody's story to that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, again, don't have the music to set your mood. I don't have the lyrics to tell the story. You just right. want to see the picture what's on screen mm-hmm. and for how long and what, and the sequence of storytelling. What's the minimum you can do to tell a story? Because you're going to add stuff on top of that. You're just trying to get the skeleton. Yeah. The plot skeleton. Rockheim says, do you wish, did you at the time wish to be more than just freelance when you were working with TSR and Watsi, or do you prefer not being on their staff? Oh, it's not a case of preference. Um, I was offered jobs about five times by TSR and um, usually by Jim Ward because he was creative director at that point. And I turned them down every time because um, I worked in a really crappy public library, uh, really crappy pay. The, the work was lovely. I love it. And I'm still working in public libraries today because I love the work. But the library um, work has always been underpaid. You know, it, it's a female-dominated profession until this thing called pay equity came along. Everybody was paid less. But even then, growing up in Ontario with healthcare, Medicare, you know, I, I would be better paid than all the starting designers at, uh, at TSR right, right. and I have full medical and dental, you know, and they'd say, but we'll give you this, we'll give you a 401k. And it was like, yeah, um, you guys don't understand Canada, do you? Right, right. We start at the bar is up here and you guys have got, you don't even give your vice presidents that. So right, <laughs> now right. on the other hand, some of the vice presidents were, were, taking $200,000 as an annual salary. You can buy a lot with that. Right. But I mean, and whereas I was stuck at about seventeen, eighteen, nineteen thousand $19,000 as an annual salary. But when you have your home and family and everything you know, you just don't want to uproot and move. Right. I realized that many Americans of my generation were used to traveling all over the country, relocating every few years to a new right. job. I didn't want to do that. I, you know, but, but I will say TSR in particular, I loved. It was like a, a family more than a business. Now, sometimes it was like a dysfunctional family, right? <laughs> but but um, I loved it. I loved going there, and I would go there once a year at Gen Con time, purely for tax reasons. I had to be out of the country for a full week plus a day because you couldn't count the day you'd cross the border. So for, just for how much I could bring back through customs, and I was going to Gen Con and buying games. So $25 wouldn't cut it, you know? Right. Um, Besides, the Canadian customs guys had this trick. They'd say, so where'd you go? And you'd tell them. So did you gas up the car? Oh, yeah. Oh, there's your 25 bucks. <laughs> you have to pay duty on everything in the car because, you know, you oh. spend it on your gas. It was right. like, oh. But if you stayed away for more than a week, it was like $200 or $240 or something. So you could you could buy a few games that you couldn't find at home. Right. Anyway, so so I would go to TSR and hang out before Gen Con, work Gen Con for them not for pay and then then go afterwards and hang out and it was great fun and i loved it i would have loved to be in there if i could somehow um relocate tsr there to my go. backyard i right. would have done it in a shot yeah so yeah you know, I, I don't mind um not being a staffer because in particularly in tsr days i was the father confessor for everybody at TSR. So they'd phone me at the public library and bitch about whatever had happened in the office. <laughs> and then I would go, uh-huh, uh-huh. And, and I'd put down the phone and then it would ring again. And it would be the other part of the feud, the other side. And I have to pretend I hadn't heard the first one. Right. And I'm sure in some cases they were testing me to make sure, is this guy going to keep his mouth shut? And right. I did because I never wanted that pipeline to, to shut off. Right. So yeah, a lot of people at TSR became my friends. And it happened the same way with Wizards, but Wizards was changing constantly because as Hasbro bought it, they were downsizing it. Yeah. So the people I was used to seeing there, well, they purged so many people that we got Paizo out of it. You know, one fell swoop. And then, but so it was different. Every time I visited, 
there were fewer people there. Okay. Did you work on the Pools of Darkness series? Uh, yes. Uh, I actually wrote a short story, which has never seen the light of day since. Oh. Um, um, for Broderbund, um, Night on the Cold Hillside, I think, um, that was published in the game manual for one of the early ones. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Uh, what has your experience been on the publisher side of creating RPGs, books, etc.? Uh being a publisher, mm -hmm. I guess that's, um, I'm assuming that's what he means. Yeah, uh, I don't have enough time left in my life. I certainly don't have enough money. The old joke about um, how do you make a small fortune in publishing? Start with a large one. Um, <laughs> and, Sorry, I don't mean to laugh, but that's a great line. You know, <laughs> but and and the other thing is, um, there were so many little details. I have vast admiration for people who can turn out good-looking products. You know, when you when you just can't get the layout right and so on. You see, because I'm old school. Layout for me was exacto knives and a waxer. And you cut and pasted things and you right. laid it out. And if you needed corner thingies or artwork, you drew it yourself and slapped it on the page. And right. then you cut the text, literally cut it with an exacto knife to flow around things. Right. None of this newfangled computer stuff, because there was no computer there stuff. Any. Until I was a teenager and I was a journalism student and we had one computer in the building which ran the waxer and ran the layout compositor and all of us worked on typewriters right what is your favorite novel in an rpg setting that you did not write mm. again i don't have one favorite i have several uh homeland by bob salvatore yep. which brought menzo branson to us brilliant book the one that is dearer to my heart is elf shadow by okay. elaine cunningham mm -hmm. because i thought she read my mind and got water deep. Exactly right. Then there are books that are as single sitting treasures I really enjoy. Uh, City of the Dead by Rosemary Jones. Um, Down Shadow by Eric Scott to be. Um, Susan Morris's short stories that she did in um, the Realms anthologies. Uh, the Godcatcher by Aaron Evans, and then later watching her do the Brimstone Angels series and watch it unfold because we talk quite a bit. Um, she, I, and Brian Cortijo, who is a fan who's the master of Cormier, we, we would lore talk all the way around on those books because Erin wanted to tell her own story, but she wanted to get all the Cormier lore exactly right. So we would talk back and forth, like what sort of plants would be growing there? Here you go. Uh, what what lord or you know servant could I use? Oh, here you go. You know, right. <laughs> um, so that that was great fun, and the end result was beautiful. Um, then there are the role playing books outside the realms, and it was I was quite intrigued with what uh, originally Andre Norton did with Quag Keep, the first official D and D novel written by Andre Norton back in the day. Okay, and um, Late, later on, uh, what Joel Rosenberg did with his Guardians of the Flame, which was uh, a role-playing crew discovers the world is real and they're in it. Um, and it was, and there were various um, other people, Dave Bischoff and others did. did, And there, were, um, there was a, um, a children's author of great fame called Dala Vipkar who did The Warlock of the Night. And Warlock of the Night is a fantasy novel, but it's based on a chess game being oh. played so it's the black queen and the white queen nice. and all the rest of it but not not done like alice in wonderland not done or alice the looking glass excuse yeah. me not done that way but done straight and, wow and yeah and there, so there's and you see when you're old enough and you worked in public libraries you get you get this cavalcade of books i have two hundred thousand books around me in this house so <laughs> just a couple just a few books yeah just yeah just a few. so i've i've seen various people doing their try and take on it and some of them are really cool nice um regarding fate of the norns shut up and take my money <laughs> <laughs> oh it is going to be fun it is going to be good and it is consuming all my time like today i just rewrote a city block from the super detailed one that is like five thousand words long down to one that'll fit on a page so you'll have a map of the city block and little things like a tourist guidebook you know, this restaurant is here, this blacksmith is here, you know, so I had to 
condense it. And I've got 98 city blocks to do. So this person says, uh, my head cannon is that you were born with a beard. Ah! <laughs> and this ah. and the other the, uh, another one after that goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's exactly what an archmage would say. I made him up when I was five. <laughs> well, I did. I was that I was that weird thing called a child prodigy, and then things went south. <laughs> uh, uh, this person says, "I honestly would love for Ed to come back. You have so much knowledge and stories. And oh. if you guys find your way to Washington, I'll take you out for drinks." All right. Okay. Sure. Uh, I would love to come back. Sure. Yeah. Uh, Washington State or Washington D.C.? I think he's in Washington State. Ah, lovely. Okay. Uh, I need a fam familial dispute settled. Is there uh -oh. such a thing as too many dice sets? No. <laughs> there you go. As a gamer, the answer to that is no. I, in the days of Gen Con, I would always go to the Chessex booth and do that scoop with a plastic pitcher for you scoop it through all their seconds. And I would do that. And every new employee that was my minder at Gen Con, because TSR turning into Watsi, they always had a an Ed minder. These poor ladies would, would be would make sure I got to my panels at the right time. I would always go and buy them the, their first set of dice. Oh wow. At, nice. at the Chessex booth and let them pick one. Because the first time they see all these dice, they're overwhelmed. Right. And then they go, look at the prices. Oh my God, I can't afford that. Well, sure you can, because I'm going to pay for it. For nice. You. Get the dice you want. Because, hey, you can never have too many dice. You can never have and too I many have dice. And I have crystal dice. I have see-through dice. I have metal dice you can kill people with if you throw them. You know, um, I have- Put them in a slingshot. Bones. Yeah, yeah. I had knuckle bone dice, all sorts of dice. And and the Zachihedron from Luzaki, you know. Do you have more fun. more dice than books or more books than dice? Oh, more dice. Uh, no, more books than dice. <laughs> like because that's the other thing. I have so many dice that I have this big bowl of dice. And gamers who come, pick some to use that night and take them away with them. And I don't care. I've got dice. Oh, and here's another trick I'm going to. Yes, you can all do the, the crown royal bag and everything. But if you need a traveling set, you go to a dollar store and get a cheap eyeglasses case with a snap thing. Oh. And they hold two of everything in a complete nice set. Nice, nice. There we oh, go. And, and when you're going role playing hacks from Ed Greenwood. Dun, dun, yeah. dun. And if you put that in your pocket when you're going through the customs at the airport, you'll get fewer questions. They can still see that there's dice inside and not a pair of eyeglasses. But they sort of say, nah, whatever, because it looks normal. They <laughs> right. might open it to make sure it's not plastic explosive, but right. you just tell them, please hold it level when you snap it open. <laughs> Why? Because the bomb's going to go off? Yep. Exactly. <laughs> Don't say that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I want to point out that Ed did return for a very special Fate of the Norns episode with Andrew Velkoskis in December of 2021 as well. Not to mention a lot of our guests have returned for our Game Masters workshop, which can be found on YouTube or live also on Twitch. Our next Q&A session is from our 34th episode with our special guest, R.A. Salvatore. We had a blast and had a lot of fun answering your Q&A questions and the show took a fun turn that no one expected. Oh, somebody asked what your World of Warcraft's main class was. Uh, we, we talked about that already. Yeah. My favorite character right now is the Fury Warrior. I'm just having a blast. That's Except great. I die. I get, the problem with a warrior is if you get in trouble, you got no outs. <laughs> you die. <laughs> Unlike a warlock, we just... Do people know, wins. people that are playing with you in World of Warcraft, do they know it's you? Sometimes. I have Sometimes. some fun stories about that. I did a pickup group once. Yeah, And the lead in the pickup group was named after a character in one of my books, but a minor character. Okay. So it was someone that really knew the books. And she, uh, I think it was a woman. She, she, yeah, it was a woman. Actually. She, she private messaged me and she gets it. Because I was playing Bruner with two R's on the end. Okay. And my paladin, she, she private messaged me and she said, Salvatore for the win. And I said, who? And she said, all right, Salvatore, your character's named after that, right? And I said, No. <laughs> So, oh, you got to read this book. So gonna, I said, this is really R.A. Salvatore. I was just kidding you. I told her. And she didn't believe me. 
So she told a couple of the other people in the group and they started asking me questions like about my books. They were like, because they thought I was faking it, you know? Right. And she asked me if I had ever played in this um, mud, right? Remember the old mud? Yeah, game? yeah, yeah, definitely. And the only one I had ever played was Zork. <laughs> um, I, I didn't know anything about them. I didn't play in any of them. And I said, no, I've never been in that. And they kicked me out of the group because for impersonating myself. <laughs> so like a couple of years later up on Facebook, I put a post up and I told that story and she got in touch with me on a PM and she's like, I'm so sorry. That's it hilarious. Was awesome. It was awesome. And I'm like, oh, that was cool. It's a story I can tell everybody now. So, oh, yeah. That's great. Uh, this is a question, and I don't know if you, you – do you watch Stranger Things? Yeah, I haven't watched the new season. I love the first season. So, and I've watched, I've watched two and three as well. I, I like them less. First season really hit me with the whole 80s shtick right, they had going right. on. Well, this question asks, how do you feel about shows like Stranger Things changing the lore from, for D&D? Do you view this as a good thing to get people involved in the lore or a bad thing for the original lore overall? I think that's a great I think question. It's a wonderful thing. D&D's lore is meant to be individualized by whoever's sitting around the gaming table, right? Yeah, I mean, I right. play D&D in my Demon Wars world. I'm not using Forgotten Realms lore, or sometimes I am. Yeah. Or sometimes I'm mixing the two, or I'm changing it. Um, I think it's awesome that you can be a D&D &D player or a Magic player or a whatever game player now and not feel like you have to hide somewhere and don't tell anyone you're playing it. Yeah. Um, and, you know, shows like Freaks and Geeks, I think, was one of the ones that really brought it forward. Uh, Freaks and Geeks community, right? But, but now Stranger Things. This kind of stuff is game, – the gaming community is enormous. Right. And it just tells people, be yourself. So I, I, I don't really get hung up on things like that because the lore, for kind of love, the lore in my books is different as you go through the books because they keep changing the game around it. Right. The drow had infravision when I started writing. They don't yeah. now. They have yeah. low light vision or yeah. dark vision or it's just different. Did you have to explain that change? Or do you just go with it and not, not even? I just it? go with it because I'm not going to go back and retrofit 37 books or whatever. Right, right. Um, I just kind of go with it. And, you know, that's why I try to be vague on spell casting. I try to be vague on, you know, just trying to well, talk about what happens when they cast the spell as opposed to naming spells and things. Sometimes I do, but I, I try to be a little careful and a little ambiguous about the time frame in the books and yeah. the years because they change the timeline all the time. Right, right. They change the maps. The new edition of the game is out. We're 100 years ahead. Right. Great. <laughs> you know? Um, so I don't really get hung up on things like that with any of the IPs I love because I understand that when, when it's going for so long, it's not the same people. Yeah. Many of people that started the realms aren't even with us anymore. Yeah. You know, started D&D &D, aren't even with us anymore. And many of the people that worked at TSR, some, a lot of them went up to Wizards, but that was 20-something years ago, and a lot of them have moved on to other things. Started their own game companies, right? Right, right. Or gone and worked for computer game companies, or just retired from the business, or gone on. So every time you have new people coming in, they're going to want to put their mark on it. Things are going to change a little bit. Roll with it. And always remember, around your table, you make the rules, you make the lore. If yeah. someone says you can't do that, you're canon, and it's your table. You say, hey, a bolt from blue just killed your character. Look at that. Wow. Yeah. Right? That's yeah. the way D&D is set up. They're guidelines. Do you have a lot of contact with some of the other pillars of D&D, people like Ed Greenwood and Richard Byers? And I mean, you mentioned Aaron I Evans just saw earlier. Richard. I hadn't seen him in years. I saw him at Gen Con. It was so nice seeing him again. Uh, sure. Sure. I, I mean, I talk to Ed every... Every now and then he'll give me a call or I'll give him a call just to say hi and keep, keep up. He hasn't been out much lately yeah. for the last couple of years for personal reasons. Yeah, yeah. Um, We've had but, him on the show a couple of times. He's, yeah, he's I saw great, Jim Lather when I was out there. I, I had dinner with Aaron Evans when I was out there. Uh, I talked to, I call my old Evan, Mary Kirchhoff, who hasn't been involved in many years. Um, and, and I'm on the phone every week, uh, on a Zoom call every week with Paul Morrissey and some other creative people doing some stuff with the game. Um, you know, yeah, I'm going to drop in at Wizards and when I go out to ECCC, I'll drop in at Wizards for a day after the convention and okay. maybe get to meet Jeremy Jarvis in person. I've only seen, met him on Zoom and see Chris Perkins and some other people up there. Yeah, I keep up with these folks. 
Awesome. Why wouldn't I? Oh, and I had dinner. I got to have dinner Saturday night with Tracy Hickman and his wife, Laura. Diane and I had dinner with them on Saturday night. And Tracy's my brother from another mother. We, um, <laughs> Tracy and I, I wish the whole world could watch Tracy and Bob um, talking about politics, for example, because <laughs> Tracy's way more conservative than I am. He's yeah. a Mormon. He's conservative. I'm a Massachusetts moderate liberal i guess i don't know yeah, yeah. i don't like the labels but you know he's right. more to the right than i am um and we would disagree about a lot of things but we'd all want to get to the same point we would have the best political discussions and nobody would leave that table with anything but hoping they had learned something yeah nothing but great. respect for each other i, I wish the, the world did that i wish the I entire love the world would dearly do that. i really do and I, I got to see margaret weiss over their booth i went over there and got a hug from margaret gen con wouldn't be any fun without a fist bump or a hug from margaret yeah. Um, yeah, I keep up with these people. Why wouldn't I? It's a small community. Right. Excellent. When I go out to ECCC, I'm going down to see Terry and Judy and Brooks. Uh, did, Terry's my favorite. He's my best friend in the business, I think. Okay. Small That's business. Great. Yeah. Yeah. You need to, you know, me as a host of a show, I never really know who knows who, who who's friends with who, who's not friends with who. So I always got to ask. It's like, who who do you get along with? Do you chat with them? You know, do you interact? So it's, it's really cool that the the culture amongst all of you is so open and accepting and friendly. And I mean, it's not got, like a lot of other businesses. I had an incredible experience. Um, where the heck was it? Was it San Diego? It was a couple of years ago at a con, uh, right before COVID. And um, Mike Cole was doing a panel. And I was told he wanted to meet me because he was a big fan yeah. growing up with my work. And Mike's in his 40s. And so I went in there on the panel, Delilah Dawson, Kevin Hearn, Jim Butcher, uh, Pat Rothfuss was there. Pat's awesome. Yeah. Love the man. Um, and Mike was amazed because he couldn't believe I was that much older than him <laughs> because I'm a lot, a lot older than these folks. Right. So they kind of grew up reading my books. Yeah. And he pulled them all over. He goes, did you guys grow up reading Bob's books? They're all like, yeah, yeah. And, I, and I'm feeling like, wow, I'm the old man now. But this is really cool because these are, I love these people. They yeah. work, right? Yeah. And Mike goes, and everyone goes, wait a minute. How old are you? So I felt really good. <laughs> you're like me. You're, you're not, you don't age. You're not going to age. We'll be young forever. I still play softball. Yeah. That's amazing. I still play softball against college kids. Wow. That's yeah, impressive. I can't outrun them, but I can hit them in the back of the head with a ball. Really. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead, take that extra base. You may get there alive. Wow. <laughs> Our next question here is, they are asking, I'm going to rephrase this. I'm going to rework this question a little bit. Uh, which of your books, do you, which of these Jewish? books do you still, do you own the rights for and what books are owned technically by other entities? Does he list the books or does he want to list? <laughs> he doesn't. Just, just, I think it's just general. Like, I'm guessing that he's, Probably I own the rights to, books, but I own the rights to everything I've done that is in Star Wars, Tarzan, or D and D. Okay, Star Wars, I own nothing. Right. I mean, that's completely work for hire, and my comp my my contract with Wizards is complicated and NDA and can't yep. get into it. The only yep. thing I can tell you about my work with Wizards of the Coast is there's a mutual affection there, and it's we do things that are mutually beneficial and we work together beautifully, so we don't worry about stuff like that. Awesome. Awesome but answer. I own like Demon Wars. I own Spear Wilder's Tales, Crimson Shadow books, the NSIL, the Echoes of the Fourth Magic, those books. Um, you know, so there's like, you know, there's, there's three trilogies and Demon Wars is what? Uh, 11, 14 books and counting. So there's 23 books I own. There's some comments. Give us more Camurial and Vallis. Oh, Camurial's all over the place in the new books. Camurial... Camurial, this series is Camurial, Jarlaxle, and Trary are are all stepping front, you know, front and center. I will never say more to Jar. I will never say no to more Jarlaxle and Trary. That's yeah. uh, that's so. Uh, me being younger, everybody was like, "You need to read these books," and I I read your original books and I liked them and they were a lot of fun. Uh, and then eventually I got to the Cell Sword series and I was like, and that's that was the series that really got me into your work. 
as I was like, I really identified with those two characters. So then I had to go back and catch back up to the entire series and all the way up till now because, you know, they're in so many of them. Yeah, you know, uh, in Trary, I really thought Road of the Patriarch was in Trary's swan song because yeah. I thought that was the perfect redemption for him. I mean, yeah. who else but Adamus and Trary could redeem himself by telling a priest, rebuild your temple, but if you do the same thing instead of what you pretend you're doing, you're supposed to be about, I'm going to come back here and burn it down again, and this time you're going to be in it. And that's yeah. redemption for Adamus and yeah. Trary. But after I wrote that, I got so many letters from people saying, you really can't end it here with him because I had this in my childhood. And they got very personal and opened up to me. And they said, I need to see him surviving and redeemed and happy. Yeah. I need to see Adamus and Troy looking in a mirror where he doesn't hate what he sees. Yeah. And yeah. so I kept them around. And I was glad I did because I, I just adore the character. And Joe Axel's Joe Axel. He's not going anywhere. Yeah. Right. I mean... <laughs> Who couldn't? Who can't? Who can't enjoy that character? Uh, boy, uh, I'm I curious to see sci some of your sci-fi work. What sci-fi work? That's. I think that's what they're saying. They want to. They want you. Want to see you do some sci-fi work? You know, science fiction now is is so much in the hands of people who are astrophysicists or quantum physicists or mathematicians. It is so far above what I remember from those early college classes in the 1970s. Right. I mean, I was. Don't forget when I was in college, I studied basic COBOL and Fortran. You know, I the, the world is so passed me by on that front that I would feel like the biggest imposter ever if I wrote it. I would write, I would write, um, you know, I can do space opera or science fantasy, science fiction fantasy, if yeah. you will. That's what I consider Star Wars. I consider Star Wars the hero's journey uh, more than the science fiction. But, you know, guys like like Greg Bear and, and you know, those, those guys... They, they know their stuff. Right. And I think now in science fiction, you really got to know that stuff. Be Otherwise, sure. it's just not going to fly. You know? Are there any other authors you'd like to work with, collaborate with? I'm I, guessing you know, D after I'm I guessing D&D, &D, but otherwise, too, would be... No, after after Terry Brooks did um, The Phantom Menace and then I did The Attack of the Clones, we knocked around the idea of doing uh, the third movie novelization together. But they gave it to Matt Stover, which was fabulous because Matt is an amazing writer and he Love really Matt. knocked it out of the park right. on that one. That's like my favorite novelization of all the ones they've ever done. Um, I would I would probably work with Terry because I think we bring different things to the books. Uh, I work, I'd work with Erica again because that just went beautifully. I mean, um, and I'd work with my kids again, but I don't really feel the need or the urge to work with other writers because I'm really protective. Right. Of like my characters and things. And I'm, I'm pretty, I'm pretty pigheaded and about it, you know? I totally understand. All <laughs> right. Last, last question. What is your favorite class in EverQuest? Monk. 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 Marcalo Dianero, my bad guy from Demon Wars is my monk in EverQuest. Is it? And I love playing a monk. I like I like the wizard too. I played Camariel as a wizard, Camariel Blowjar as a wizard in EverQuest, and um, that was pretty cool. But no, that monk is it, man. That's awesome. And what I really liked about it is because they were so dependent on the weight you were carrying. Yeah, you really had to plot out where you what you were going to get for equipment from the beginning. So it's like you know, hanging out in Oasis and waiting for Lockjaw to spawn, right? Because you got to right. get that Lockjaw vest. And then you go into Soleil and you get the foreman's tunic. And you kind of let... Because, see, I play, I play solo or in a very, very small groups. Like my wife might play. She never played EverQuest, but she'll play WoW with me. But I play solo mostly. So I don't raid. And it always okay. drives me crazy when it's good. they've got your epic item. And you can achieve your epic. All you need is 80 friends that'll raid with you. And you can get your epic and it'll be your achievement. No, that's please give me something where I can go and just keep getting my things, my ultimate things by myself, even if it takes me years longer without 80 friends helping me. Yeah. Somebody just mentioned feign death pulls for the win. <laughs> Absolutely. I was really good at it too. As a matter of fact, once we were fighting the bandits in where was it? It was outside of Kino, so... South Row? Was it South, like South Row. Row. You know the bandits yeah. by the farmhouses? Yeah. And some guy started messing with my nephew who was sitting with me. We were metting up 
get you know you had to kill a few things and wait 20 minutes before you could fight again yeah i have a quest i loved it yeah. and um some guys giants. were really being jerks they were they would kill stealing they were just being jerks and they were broadcasting out over the thing yelling at us and stuff so i just ran my monk into the building and ran up to him and i said you're dead and i fell down and all the bandits just <laughs> swarmed them and it was really funny because they they reported me Right. And the GM showed up and his name was Rumblebelly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I know that. I recognize that. And he, and he looked at the name on my account and he's like, please stop. I don't want to ban you. I only did it once and they deserved it. Yeah. Uh, best ever quest story. Got time for a real quick. Sure. Yeah, story? for sure. I was hunting the ancient Cyclops. Okay. In South Row. Yeah. And it wasn't South Row near Kinos, which was the one near Kinos. Oh, uh, yeah. South Road was actually by Freeport. Uh, it was Kinos South, was... North, and West. began with a K. I can't remember. Karana. Karana. The Karanas, yes. Yes, it was Karana where the bandits were. That yes. was in South Row in the desert. And this was back in the day when they told you all these different ways to get it to spawn. And by the way, I talked to Morgard uh, from when he came to work at 38 Studios. He said, no, there was no way to get it spawned. It just would spawn or it wouldn't. Um, <laughs> but people had all these formulas for spawning the, the ancient Cyclops. Oh, he might have been lying to me too, though. Yeah. Um, so I was there for like weeks. I'd log on the monk sitting in the desert trying to get my journeyman's boots, you know, the ring of the yeah. ancient Cyclops, so go get my journeyman's boots. And there was one other guy in there always there. And we started talking and we kind of became friends. Eventually, I'd log on one day and and I logged on, and there he was. And I was like, oh, my God. I killed the ancient Cyclops, got my journeyman's boots. Uh, no, it wasn't my monk. It was my wizard. It was Chimeria. Okay. And I got my journeyman's boots, and you really need them with a wizard because you die fast. And then months later, I blipped into South Row with a teleport, and I was running through going back to Freeport. And... I look at a who to see who's in the zone. And that guy was there. And I hadn't seen him in months. I'm like, oh, my God, I can't believe you're here. Because, yeah, I'm just coming back. I never did get him. And we had this great conversation going. And I'm running through. And I come over this dune. Bam, right into the ancient Cyclops. Nice. He's on the other side of the zone. I'm like, group with me quick. Group with me quick. But the thing had already hit me. Yeah. So, so I, I killed it. And I locked it. I went and knelt down and locked it. I said, get over here. Get over here. Get over here. And he comes over. And I go, okay, I'm getting up on three. And I got up and this guy ran by and ninja looted. Laughing at us and ran by oh, and took man. it. And I'm like, cut it out. What are you doing? I'm yelling at the guy. I'm like, what are you doing? You know, I'm going to report you. And the guy's laughing, AIFU and all this. And he logged off. So I wrote his name down. And I stuck it on a, with a sticky note right on the side of my computer. Months later, I'm in GFA. And I see that, and I, somebody says, hey, I need to teleport to North Karana. <laughs> so I got you. Well, this was right after they had changed the dungeon of Kazakh Thule from being this fairly easy dungeon into oh. this. If you're in there, you're dead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I translocated him, and a bar came up, and nobody looks at where it is. No, right, yeah. And he clicks yes. And I drop the group, and I get a tell from him, and he says, you screwed up. You screwed up. You sent me to the wrong place. I'm in Kazakh. Come get me. Like, you're in Kazakh, Thule? How'd that happen? I'm not going there. That's a bad place. <laughs> Come get me. I'm going to die in there. I'll never get my body back. Come and get me. I'm like, you got J-Boots. Run, you jerk. And that was that. Wow. You didn't tell him? Who, you, didn't, you didn't remind him? He remembered him of his... me then when I said, you got J-Boots. Oh, okay. He remembered me then. That's great. Yes. Yes, that was one of the most satisfying moments of gaming I've ever had. Nice. I just hope his body rotted in there. Well, maybe maybe one day when your time frees up, we can both load up and we'll, I'll, I'll play with you. <laughs> you can get some old school EverQuest in. Last thing about EverQuest, you can only do about 40 levels by yourself. Once you get to level 40, it just takes you an hour to kill something. Right. Well, when they came out with, I think it was Lucelin or Lucklin, depending on how you want to pronounce it. Yeah, Luck, it was like yeah. your first 20 levels was like so easy. And then after that, everyone started to come, all the new players started to complain. It's like, it's so hard. It's like, yeah, welcome. Welcome to how our world was. Yeah, because all the items from Lucklin or whatever, you were being sold in the auction house. So you were getting swords that were better than anything you could get until level 30. Right. Which kind of ruined the game, by the way. 
Yeah. yeah. I mean, I still remember going into uh, Befallen trying to get the Black Iron Bastard Sword, right? It was like a big deal. Right. Yeah. That was or a great having game. to go into the little tunnel to shout for for stuff and then later yeah. they have the auction. Tunnel in like, Gfe. Oh, I mean the tunnel in East Common Lands. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh no, that that that, that, that was really a great game. I still yeah. remember the epic trains from unrest from the town to the right. all the way to the tunnel. Right. And you'd kind of hide in the bushes off to the side. <laughs> yep. You go all the way up the wall <laughs> in the zone and just hide out. All the way back in. And I remember I've been playing WoW for years, and I went back and played EverQuest. I thought, this is great. And I took my bard, and I'm creeping around down, and I lost my invisibility, and it killed me, and I'm laughing. And then I realized I was, like, an hour away. <laughs> and I had forgotten. Oh, crap. How am I going? I had to go kill snakes to make enough money to buy a flute so I could go invisible enough again to go down and get my damn body. Oh, man. Oh, that was terrible. <laughs> And then I had the hotkey to drag my body out of the dungeon so I could loot it while I was invisible. Was it hard to remember? You, you'd go back and as a bard and you're like, you have to relearn how to twist all your songs. In the, oh, in yeah. The... And then your, your hand's like aching for days because yeah. you're trying to twist three songs all day long. Uh, yeah. This is, this uh, is the part just... where we say kids don't know. Kids don't kids know. Kids don't know. Well, they took... And, and, you know, when I was working at 38 Studios, I was trying to get them put things like corpse runs and losing experience back in and they would not do it they said the players will not do that and i said you know if, if there's no risk there's no reward right make put some pain actual pain in the game and some of my best stories are corpse runs <laughs> <laughs> those are always the best the best things because it's redeeming it's like getting i got my stuff back and there's always something funny that happens Just trying or... to get your corpse back Right. can become multiple corpse runs in a very short minute. Right, for sure. Again, these were from the post-podcast question and answer sessions that take place on our live stream on Twitch at twitch.tv slash epic underscore realms. And you too can take part of these for future episodes. So make sure to go there and give us a follow. Also, don't forget to rate and review this podcast. Five stars in a review really does help us get seen. The algorithm translates and suggests us to new viewers based on your rates and reviews. So please help us out and take a few seconds to do this. It's greatly appreciated. Also, tell your friends and family members about us. Spread the word. Also, feel free to go back and catch up on our backlog of episodes. All of our guests, whether you know them or not, have some amazing insights and stories that are highly entertaining. Have a great rest of your year, and thank you for listening to Epic Realms. Well, there you are. I hope you enjoyed yourselves, and I do hope that you come back and join us again for Epic Realms. <laughs> <laughs>